Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. And as we continue in our sermon series on relationships this morning, we're looking at the ingredients God wants us to have in our lives so that they can also be in our relationships. The ingredients in our relationships largely determine the enjoyment of our relationships. Just as each competitor this evening will be responsible for the ingredients they put in their pot of chili, so each one of us is responsible for the ingredients that we put into our lives and our relationships. Thankfully, God has given us the right recipe, his recipe for thriving relationships in his word. The first ingredient for thriving relationships is identity. And we looked at this a couple of weeks back. Identity is how I define and see myself. Identity is how you define and see yourself. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Paul got his identity vertically in Jesus. God wants us to get our identity vertically in Jesus. We have been saved by God's grace alone through our faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Our old life in sin has passed and our new life in the Savior has come. I am who God says I am in Christ Jesus. You are who God says you are in Christ Jesus. We must make sure that we don't make the mistake of trying to get our identity horizontally from other people or from any other identity theft that lurks around us in our horizontal relationships. The second ingredient for thriving relationships is purpose. Purpose is why we do what we do in our relationships. Paul said, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are saved by God. This gives us our identity. We are servants of God. This gives us our purpose. Therefore, we know the purpose of our relationships is to glorify God in our relationships. We glorify God in our relationships We fulfill his purpose for our relationships as we help others know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go for Jesus. As we shared last Sunday, God has given each one of us a spiritual gift as followers of Jesus Christ. We have spiritual gifts. God has given each one of us a spiritual gift that is to work in connection with our abilities, our skills, our passions, our talents, so that we can fulfill his purpose in our relationships, so that we can help others know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go for Jesus. And as we use our gifts to serve others in the way God desires, we glorify God, and we help our relationships thrive. The third ingredient that we're going to focus on this morning for thriving relationships is power. Power is how we do what we do in our relationships. One of the many blessings that we receive from God 
as children of God, and there are too many to count, but one of the many blessings we receive from God as children of God is whenever God sends us to go by faith in him, in service to him, which is every day throughout the day, every single time God sends us out to go by faith in him to serve those he places around us, God always, always, always equips us and empowers us to fulfill his purpose for us. God told Moses, Moses, I will be with you. I will certainly be with you as you go to Pharaoh to lead the Israelites, my people, out of bondage in Egypt. God told Joshua, I will be with you as you lead my people, the Israelites, into the promised land. As I was with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. God told Gideon, I will be with you as you strike down Midian. God has told you and me, remember, I am with you always, always to the end of the age. As Christ followers, we know God is always with us by his spirit in us. And God's presence with us always includes God's power for us. God's presence with us always includes God's power for us. God never sends us out on mission for him alone in our strength to do our best. He's with us. And because he's with us, that means we have his power in us and for us to fulfill what he calls us to fulfill. Jesus made this clear Throughout the Gospels, in particular, he made this clear in the book of Acts. If you're to open your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1 real quick. We'll look at this passage. In Acts, what we see happening, Luke is recording these final words of Jesus. These are Jesus' final words of instruction to his disciples and followers. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is recording this scene. He's writing these words, and Jesus was actually sharing these final words of instruction with his disciples and followers before his ascension into heaven. Now, what's interesting is his disciples and followers were focused on the future. In this conversation, Jesus turned their focus to the present, to their purpose, their present here and now purpose. And Luke recorded the words of Jesus as Jesus said to his disciples and followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the age. Notice Jesus said, you will receive power. Say that with me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. So we know, as we've covered recently, when God saves us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit in us. Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. He is with us. God is with us by his spirit in us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be disciples of Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to go and make disciples of all nations. The Holy Spirit empowers us to shine our lights, that light of Christ that dwells within us so others may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit empowers us to help others know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go for Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have thriving relationships. 
I love what John R.W. Stott, a prominent pastor and author, a late pastor and author, once said. He said, before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. Before Christ sent us, the church, into the world, he sent his Spirit into us. And so we look at this ingredient of power this morning. It's so vitally important. We know who we are in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. We know our purpose, which is to glorify God in our relationships. That's why we do what we do. And now we're focusing in on our power, how we do what God wants us to do in our relationships. And in the New Testament, there are two Greek words that we most often translate power. And we see this uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, One of these words is exousia. Exousia literally means power. It means authority. This is the word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus came near to his disciples and followers said, uh, all exousia, all power, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Exousia, power and authority. The other word is dunamis. Dunamis means power to carry out a task. It means force, might, and strength. Dunamis, this word for power, is the word Jesus used in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive dunamis, power, force, might, strength to carry out the task that I am sending you to carry out. So what we see with Jesus is real clear as it relates to power. And this is a beautiful picture for you and me as it relates to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus has the exousia, the power and authority to commission us as his disciples and witnesses. And Jesus also has the dunamis, the power, force, might, and strength for us to carry out our purpose as his disciples and witnesses. And so this brings this home to you and me, this ingredient of power. It's very exciting for us. It's one of the most thrilling ingredients that I get to share with you. It's an awesome ingredient, the power of God at work in us. God's power in us and for us and through us is emphasized throughout the New Testament. We see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus was talking with Paul and Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my Power is perfected in your weakness. Paul then responded and said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Paul later said in Ephesus, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, imagine, or think according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Paul told Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind and sound judgment. Listen, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and me. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. This is the power that we have in us. God's powerful Holy Spirit taking residence in us, and he fills us with this power, this conquering power. That's why Jesus said, because I have overcome, you can overcome. Take heart, be courageous. I've conquered the world, so you can conquer. We know and understand we fulfill 
God's purpose for us by God's power in us. We fulfill God's purpose for us, and that's our identity in Christ, so we're fulfilling our purpose, God's purpose for us, by God's power in us. It really doesn't make much sense for us to be wimpy followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make much sense. You know, the song still says, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Not backward Christian soldiers. Not running high Christian wimps. He's saying, onward, Christian soldiers. Why? Why can we declare this truth? Why do we understand this? Because we've got the power of God at work in us. In me, I am nothing. I am weak. I am completely incapable of doing anything of spiritual significance. In Christ Jesus, though, in Christ Jesus, I've got power. i got power. And I am able, like Paul said, to do all things through him who empowers, who strengthens me, and so can you. I get excited talking about the power of God. I think we all can get excited when we talk about the power of God. Now what I want us to do is I want you to turn to your uh, left, if you're in Acts, turn to your left to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, because I want us to look at a passage, and we're going to identify the power of God. We're going to see it in action, and then we're going to look at how we can access this power. Because there may be some who are thinking, well, okay, I get this power of God that it dwells and lives within me because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. But quite honestly, right now, Mark, I don't feel very powerful. I, in fact, feel very, very weak. And so how does this work? How can I access this power that you're talking about? And in this passage, in this beautiful scripture, we find the answer to this question. In Luke chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 1, uh, and we'll just go along as we make our way through, and we'll, we'll make some points along the way that I believe will, will bless us uh, today and this week. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. Now, Here's the scene. The crowds have come. Uh, they've heard about Jesus. They know he's healing. They know he's uh, casting out demons. They know he's preaching God's truth. So the crowd finds Jesus, follows Jesus, and they have crowded in around Jesus. They're pressing in on Jesus so much so that he's standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he kind of looks. It's like the, the shore and the sea. And I mean, they're, they're right here. They want to see Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. They want to touch Jesus. They want to get with Jesus. They want to be healed by Jesus, whatever the case may be. So it's, it's quite a scene. Verse 2, he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So Jesus looks and he sees two boats. One boat belonged to Peter and one boat belonged to James and John, the brothers, the sons of Zebedee. We find this out in verse 10. So we see whose boats these are. Now, these guys are, are washing their nets. They're fishermen. They're f they have to wash their nets. It's vitally important after fishing uh, all night, they needed to wash their nets to get rid of the debris in the nets uh, so that the nets wouldn't rot, they wouldn't break apart, so that they could continue to be of use because that was their livelihood. So whenever they fished, as soon as they finished, they couldn't take any time. They had to wash the nets. Verse 3, Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and he was teaching the crowds from the boat. <clears throat> Jesus makes a great decision, a wise decision, which, by the way, is what he always does. He's Jesus. He's got in the flesh. He always made great wise decisions. So what Jesus did, <clears throat> he saw the two boats. <clears throat> he knew that one belonged to Simon Peter. And so he said, hey, I'm going to get in Simon Peter's boat. Hey, Pete, I need you to move, move out. Put, push out a little bit. 
So Jesus is in Peter's boat, and they, they push out into the shallow part of the Sea of Galilee, giving him some space. And so as he pushes out into the Sea of Galilee, then Jesus turns and he starts preaching and teaching God's truth to the crowd that had been pressing in around him. Quick note, the fact that Jesus got in Peter's boat was not a coincidence. It was not a mistake. That was not a random guess. Didn't flip a coin. It was not a coincidence. Jesus, early on in his earthly ministry, knew his purpose for Peter in the present and in the future. He knew Peter was going to be one of the key leaders in the explosion of the New Testament church. He knew Peter was going to be one of the leaders that he would send to the Jews. He knew Paul later would be one of the leaders he would send to the Gentiles. And so early in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he immediately began pouring into Peter. And so what we see is Jesus in the boat, and he's teaching the crowds God's truth. But who is his most captive audience? Who is right there watching and seeing and hearing and observing every single thing that Jesus is saying and doing? It's Peter. It's Peter. He's got a front row seat. We continue. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So he said, put out in the deep water. Two imperatives, two commands here in verse 4. Jesus has finished preaching and teaching, and he tells Peter, put out into the deep. Put out uh, into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. There's two imperatives. These are in the aorist tense. That means do this and do this now. This is important. I want you to do this in, in right now. These are commands from Jesus to Peter. First command, put out into deep water. Move out into the deeper part of the Sea of Galilee. Set sail. Get out there. And then, once you're out there, let down your nets for a catch. I want you to take those nets, toss them over for a catch. Now, Peter continues, and now he gets to respond in verse 5. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Let's look at verse 5. Master. First, this is an acknowledgement of Peter's love for Jesus, Peter's respect for Jesus, and Peter's respect and understanding of the authority of Jesus. Peter called him Master, Lord. He said, we've worked hard. We've worked hard, plural. We've worked hard. What does that tell us? It tells us that Peter wasn't the only guy in his boat fishing. He had a crew. He had a crew. We see this in verse 6, when they did this, when they did this. So we know there was just more than Peter here. So here's what Peter says. We've worked hard all night long. What is this? The first little point you can make, if you're taking notes right here, is exhaustion. Peter's fatigued. He's letting Jesus know. We've worked hard all night long, as if Jesus didn't know that already. We've worked hard all night long. Now watch this. We get the second one. And caught nothing. What is that? Frustration. We've caught nothing. We've done a lot of fishing, not much catching. We've caught nothing. Now, so you got exhaustion, fatigue. He was tired. Worked hard. Worked hard all night long. Now, frustration didn't go well. Wasn't a, good, wasn't a good night at the office. Caught nothing. Now, I want you to also understand that Peter's experience would have told him 
the command of Jesus in verse 4 didn't make much fishing sense. Peter's experience would have said, eh, this doesn't make a whole lot of fishing sense. Fishing, at this point, was always best done at night in the Sea of Galilee because then the coolness of the night hours, the fish would come from the bottom, the deep, up to the shallow to feed, which is when the fishermen and their nets would make it easy for them to catch. In the heat of the late morning afternoon, the fish would go to the deep part of the Sea of Galilee, seeking coolness, and it would be very, very difficult next to impossible for the nets to be thrown over and to go all the way down to catch. So here's Jesus. He's speaking in the afternoon. He says, I want you to go and put it into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Peter's experience would have tempted him to think, oh, this ain't going to work. I guess maybe he didn't realize that. I just said we've been working all night and we hadn't caught anything. But look at what happens. Verse 6. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. What an awesome picture here. Look at this picture. We see here, they had fished all night long and caught nothing. They were exhausted. They were frustrated. Peter's experience would have told him, this isn't going to work. <clears throat> and yet here in this passage, here, right here, they catch such a large number of fish that it takes two boats to bring it all into shore. And those boats are beginning to sink because of so many fish. And here, don't miss this. I know you see this. Here, right here, we see the access code to God's power for our lives. It's right here. These fishermen saw the power of Jesus at work. And we see this power here in this passage. Peter, James, John, their crews, and all the other people who may have hung out the crowds, who may have hung around after Jesus had finished preaching and teaching God's truth, who happened to be still standing around the shore there of the Sea of Galilee, everybody who was there, still there, saw the power of Jesus, God's power at work in and through Jesus in this amazing, miraculous episode along the Sea of Galilee. And we too see God's power in and through Jesus here in this passage. And so what we want to do, I want you to understand, don't this, there is an access code to God's power in this passage. It's real simple. The access code to God's power for our lives, the access code to God's power uh, in our marriages, the access code to God's power in our workplaces, the access code to God's power in our families, the access code to God's power in our relationships, the access code to fulfilling God's purpose for our relationships, it's right here. God's access code for his power in and for and through us is real simple, and it's one word, it's obedience. It's obedience. 
Look at verse 5. Master Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the net. Say that with me. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Peter obeyed Jesus. Did he want to? Probably not. Did he think it was going to work? Probably not. But Peter obeyed Jesus. He did what Jesus said when Jesus said. He persevered. Now watch this. Peter persevered through these obstacles. Obstacle number one, he persevered through exhaustion. He worked all night long. He was exhausted. You know what? I've worked all week. I've worked so hard all week. Man, it's been a rough week. I need to just take a break from the Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up next week. Just worked so hard. He, worked, he, he persevered through the obstacle of frustration. Not only has it been a hard week, but it's not been a good week. Didn't get anything accomplished that I needed to do. Things went south. Turned worse than I even thought they could turn. Frustrated. My relationships aren't working out right. I don't like what's going on. Nothing's changing. Peter persevered through his experience. Been there, done that. Jesus, that's why we fish at night, because if you fish in the day, it generally doesn't work. It's too deep. The nets won't reach. And so that's, that's experience. Says this isn't going to work. He persevered through the excuse of experience. So many times we think, you know what, God? <laughs> I've forgiven them. I've encouraged them. I've helped them, and they've not yet responded to me. They've not yet said thanks. They've not yet been kind to me. They continue to do the very thing that I keep forgiving them for doing that's causing me hurt, God. My experience, God, says they're not going to change. They're not going to be different. So I don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm wasting my time. Why are you asking me to continue to serve them? I feel like this is a colossal waste. Why am I supposed to keep praying? It's clear they're not responding to you, God. Experience. He persevered through exhaustion, through uh, frustration, through this experience. And he saw the power, the power of Jesus in that catch. Listen, fear, frustration, and failure are indicator lights in our lives that we're operating in God's power and not our power. That we're trying to fulfill God's purpose in our strength, not his strength, in our wisdom, not his wisdom. Thriving relationships, understand this, thriving relationships run on God's power, not ours. They run on God's power, not ours. And listen, we access God's power through obedience. Because you say so, God. <laughs> and quite honestly, God, you know my heart. This is only because you say so, God. I'll do it. I'll do it, God. I will obey. God, I'll trust and I'll obey because I know there's no other way for me to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And it's so vitally important. Oftentimes, we struggle in our relationships 
because we start off well and we're wanting to fulfill the purpose that God has. We're wanting to glorify God in our relationships and we're walking in his strength and wisdom and power, not ours. And we don't get the results that we are expecting, that we are desiring, that we want. Whoever that other person is, isn't changing. They're not stopping. They're not receiving. They're not returning. They're not doing what we have decided that we want from them. And then we get frustrated. We get tired and we decide that's it. And we stop. And that very next moment, as we stop Walking in God's power, we begin walking in our power. And then we try to continue that relationship in our power. And that does not work. The frustration grows. The fatigue grows. And the failure continues. And quite possibly, what God may have you here right now this morning is to understand and realize you need a reset in your workplace. You need to reset in that relationship with your boss, with your coworker, with your employee. You need to reset in your marriage. You need to reset in your parenting. You need to reset in your friendships. Whatever the case may be, you need to reset in your family relationships. Because what God's making it clear this morning is that you've been walking in your power and not his power. And if there's been a lot of frustration, if there's been a lot of fatigue there's been a lot of failure, then those are indicators. Let's, let's have that reset. Because clearly here we see the access code for God's power in us and our relationships as obedience. Now I want you to look at some blessings that come from obedience real quick. And we'll just run through these real quick. Look at the blessings that we receive from obedience. Number one, we see this amazing in verse six. Uh, we see the blessings of God. We reap the blessings of God when we walk in obedience to God. In verse 6, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. As you and I walk in obedience to God, we reap the blessings of God. Peter, James, John, these guys, they obeyed Jesus and they brought two boatloads of fish in. So many fish that their boats began to sink, their nets began to tear, and they had so much they got to bless them with. Listen, this is a picture. God generously blesses you and me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our God is a generous God. He is the heavyweight champion of all time when it comes to giving. We can't outgive God. It's impossible for us to outgive God. The more we give to God, the more He fills our lives, our relationships. And God generously pours his blessings into our lives and relationships as we walk in obedience to him. Does it mean he's going to immediately change the other person? No, that doesn't mean that at all. That other person, that's between the Lord and them. What's most important is what God will do is he'll begin to change us. And he'll continue to meet our needs. He will take care of us so that we will continue in his power for his glory to fulfill his purpose for our relationships. God blesses us. Second gift, the, the second blessing we see is we have a testimony for God. Look in verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They said, hey, we need help. James, John, get over here. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Peter knew fishing. Jesus knows catching. Understand, there's a difference. I'd much rather go catching than fishing. Fishing is all right, but not if you're not catching. I'd much rather do catching. And Peter knew fishing. Jesus knows catching. And 
through Peter's obedience to let down that net against all facts and against all odds of the circumstance and the situation, they reaped a harvest. And they were able to extend that blessing, not just to Peter and his crew, but to James and John and their crew. Said, come on, we need help. And listen, look at this. The only way, I love this. The only way to explain the catch is Jesus. That's it. The only way to explain the catch is Jesus. And there are times in our lives that, praise God, we can honestly say the only way to explain what's going on is Jesus. You see, that's how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to live our lives in such a way, by faith, in obedience, that the only way for others to explain what's going on is Jesus. I don't know why they keep giving the way they're giving. I can't for the life of me understand why they're serving the way they're serving. I don't understand why they keep ministering the way they're ministering. I don't understand why they continue to be kind and compassionate to me when I am unkind and anything but compassionate to them. I don't understand it, but I guess the only way that this makes sense is Jesus. Jesus. You see, we're reminded here again with this example of Peter. God's work in us is always for us, but don't miss this. God's work in us is also for those around us. This was a blessing for Peter. Peter needed to obey. It's going to help form that pattern in his life for the future. His crew needed to see this as well. But listen, it wasn't just for Peter. It was for James and John. Because you know they're coming over going, what on earth? How did this happen? What's going on? Well, it's Jesus. God's work in our lives is always for us, but it's also for those around us. Fathers, mothers, God's work in your life is for you. It's for your kids. Obey. Obey. So your son and your daughter can see what it looks like live and in person when it's difficult when you're exhausted, when you're frustrated, when your experience and the facts of the situation say everything but obey, you keep obeying. Because the Lord is choosing your obedience in your life to bless you, but he's setting a pattern for those kids to see my dad, my mom. They don't give up. They obey. They obey. Since husbands obey, God's using it for your wife. Wives obey, God's using it for your husband. Listen, whatever God's called you to do, as your vocation, obey, obey, obey. God's using it, his work in your life, that obedience to bless who knows how many he places around you. What I do know is people are watching you. You know this, they're watching. 
They're watching. And so we see this testimony. Third blessing is we see uh, that we are convicted by God. And this is a blessing. You see in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Jesus saw the power. Uh, Paul saw, uh, Peter saw the power of Jesus at work right there in his life. And he understood his sinfulness. He was immediately convicted by his sin. And he literally said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Now, the great news from this passage is simply this. Jesus didn't go away from him, amen? He didn't go away from him. And Jesus isn't going away from you and me either. When we see God's power at work in our lives in a very real, tangible way, there are times where we understand and realize and we're convicted by our sin. Why? Because we, more often than not, when we see the power of God at work in our lives, there are times when we actually, if we're being honest, we didn't think it would happen. We didn't believe God would answer that prayer the way he did. We had a lack of faith. We were obeying, but we weren't quite sure whether it was gonna actually work out. And then when we see God's power, we're aware of our sinfulness. Even at times, we may even think to ourselves, oh, what a sinful, wretched man I am, as Paul said. Things I don't wanna do, I do things I do wanna do, I don't, what a wretched man I am. I say I'm a man, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. And so we see the beauty is this, Jesus never leaves us. God convicts us of our sin because he loves us. His conviction is for our confession to lead us to confess our sins because that leads to his forgiveness of our sin, which leads to restored fellowship and faith and trust in him so that we can continue fulfilling his purpose. Again, we see the fourth blessing is we're amazed. We're amazed uh, by God. Look at what we see in verse nine. For he and all those who were with him were what? Amazed. Say that out loud. Amazed. Again, amazed at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. They were amazed. They couldn't believe it. Peter, James, John, all their crews, they were amazed at the catch of fish. They were amazed at the power of Jesus. And when we serve the Lord as followers of Christ, as we walk in obedience to the Lord, we are able to have a front row seat to see God do what only he can do. And we're amazed day by day. I'm sure you would agree with this. As God's power is revealed to us in our day-to-day lives, in our relationships, we're amazed at how God answers our prayers. We're amazed at how God speaks to us by his spirit in us. We're amazed at how God grows our faith. We're amazed at how God meets our needs. We're amazed at how God showers us with his blessings. We're amazed at how God continues his work in us, through us, and around us for his glory, for others' good, and for our gain. We're amazed. We're amazed as Peter, James, and John, and the others were amazed here. And in the fifth blessing we see, as when we walk in obedience to God, we fulfill the purpose of God. He continued and said in verse 10, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon, for now and you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. Notice he said here, from now on you will be catching people. Up to this point in Peter's life, he was a fisherman. He caught fish. From this point forward, he was gonna be catching people. Catching is in the present active tense. It's active in his voice. It's present in the tense. And so what that means is catching people is Peter's new daily purpose. And Peter was able to fulfill his purpose from God by the power of God through his obedience to God. God's purpose for us in our relationships, our lives and our relationships, is to help others know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go for Jesus. We fulfill the purpose of God by the power of God through our obedience to God. God wants you and he wants me 
to be his disciples, his followers, his servants, who say throughout the day, each day of the week, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, because you say so, God, I will obey. Because you say, comfort God, I will comfort. Because you say, encourage God, I will encourage. Because you say, forgive God, I will forgive. Because you say, give God, I will give. Because you say, help God, I will help. Because you say, love God, I will love. Because you say, pray God, I will pray. Because you say, serve God, I will serve. Because you say, trust you God, I will trust you. Because you say, follow me by faith, I will follow you by faith. Because you say, obey God, I will obey. We have God's power in us by our faith in Jesus. We access God's power for us in our relationships through our obedience to Jesus. Thriving relationships run on God's power, not ours. And that power flows in our lives as we simply obey, as we do what God calls us to do when he calls us to do it. Don't let exhaustion, don't let frustration, don't let other people, don't let your experience, don't let the facts as they appear to be of your circumstance or situation to keep you from walking in obedience to the Lord. He leads, we follow. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's gonna come and lead us in this response to the Lord. Our prayer partners will be here at the front. They would love to pray with you, pray for you. Pray over you. You got a need, a care, a concern. That's why they'll be standing up here and they would love the blessing of being able to pray for you. Whatever that need, care, concern is, the altar is open as it always is. Maybe you want to come and, and do business together as husbands and wives, maybe as brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, maybe frustration or maybe it's been exhaustion or fatigue or maybe it's your experience or maybe it's just that other person that it just continues to get the best of you. Maybe it's a circumstance in your job. Whatever the case may be, whatever that obstacle is, I want to encourage you to persevere. Persevere through it. What that may look like is you may just need to fall on your knees and confess to the Lord that, that obstacle that's been in your way and just renew your passion for the Lord, walking in His power through your obedience to Him and His strength for His glory. Remember, God's work in us is for us, but it's also for those God places around us. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord together.